1: Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark
0: Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know, it's a daily thing now. You watch the president, the vice president... These various medical experts, titans of the private sector, others, they present to us what they're doing, what they know about the data, what they'd like us to do, uh, how they think things are going to turn out going forward. They're asked, you know, to to have a crystal ball and predict, well, everybody who needs a ventilator get a ventilator. Okay, I'm going to answer that question. No, they're not. Maybe the president has a different answer. But based on decisions that were made a long time ago by governors and by cities, everybody who needs a ventilator today is not going to get one today. And so what the president is trying to do, as well as GM and Ford and a number of their partners, is to build as many ventilators as fast as they can. They're very complex. There's different types of ventilators and so forth and so on, and fill the gap as fast as they can. But not everybody's going to get one in time. And you can look at the governors, like Cuomo. Now, he deserves a little break because it's a pandemic. Nobody can really prepare for a pandemic, but you can prepare better. And so when he had a decision to make in 2015, solar power, that is solar panels or ventilators, he chose solar panels. Over $700 million for solar panels, and he didn't spend the 500 and some million on the ventilators. Same with the, uh, the beds. You've had governors... Republican and Democrat in New York since 2000 to 2020. New York, you lost 20,000 hospital beds during that period of time because the governors decided not to fund them, including Cuomo. And so what the president's trying to do with the hospital ships <clears throat> and the Javits Center and these other efforts by the Army Corps of Engineer is now to fill the gap. And so now I watch these attacks on the president. By one reporter after another. And I'm convinced that they talk to each other. I don't mean they have a huddle before the event. I mean they talk to each other. They share ideas. They show how they're going to attack the president. Try and get under his skin. Try and yank his chain. Try and quote him from March. When he didn't think it would be as big a problem as it is today. The president is basing his opinions on what these experts are telling him. He's not making things up. Moreover, he's not trying to panic the nation. The media do that. I'm going to show you an example of how the president is relying on the advice he gets and giving his comments. And there's no reason to trash him for this. There's no reason to trash him in the least. I mean, honest to God, I don't have anybody who can do a better job than he's been doing. Anybody. So I'm looking here for Dr. Fauci. Now, Dr. Fauci, uh, it's called Katz's Roundtable. He's the gentleman who owns WABC now. And uh, he had Anthony Fauci on his program back on January 26th. And by the way, I'm not doing this to trash the doctor in the least. I'm tr- I'm doing this to show you how this works. When you have a, 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 a virus that... Even the experts are utterly unfamiliar with and They're trying to gather data, but they don't have a lot of it, particularly with China covering it up, destroying data, and killing doctors. So Castametes, John Castametes has this program, and he was pressured enough to interview Dr. Fauci, Anthony Fauci. January 26th, by my calculation, that's nine weeks ago, give or take. Just nine weeks ago. Cut 12, go. What can you tell the American
1: people uh, about what's going on? Should they be scared? Uh, I don't think
2: so. The American people should not be worried or frightened by this. It's a very, very low risk to the United States. It isn't something that the American public needs to worry about or be frightened about because we have ways of preparing, of screening, of people coming in, and we have ways of responding like we did with this one case
0: in Seattle, Washington, who had traveled to China and brought back the infection. Mm -hmm. So that's Dr. Fauci, nine weeks ago. Obviously, he was wrong. He's not wrong because he is partisan. He's not wrong because he wasn't looking at the data or the wrong models or anything. He had what he had, the information he had. And now, Dr. Fauci, yesterday, had this to say. Cut 13, go.
2: How many cases do you think the U.S. will reach? A million cases? Right, first
0: to- of all, Jake Tapper, that is such a stupid question. How many qu- cases do you think we'll reach? I mean, what, what is the point of a question like that? So you can play gotcha nine weeks from now? Go ahead anyway.
2: A million cases? Or, or, these we, or do we not even have any idea? You know, Jake, be honest. to be honest with you, We don't really have any firm idea. There are things called models. And when someone creates a model, they put in various assumptions. And the model is only as good and as accurate as your assumptions. And whenever the model has come in, they give a worst-case scenario and a best-case scenario. Generally, the reality is somewhere in the middle. I've never seen a model of the diseases that I've dealt with, which the worst-case scenario actually came out. They always overshoot. So when you use numbers like a million, a million and a half, two million, that almost certainly is off the chart. Now, it's not impossible, but very, very unlikely. So it's difficult to present. I mean, looking at what we're seeing now, you know, I would say between 100 and 200,000 cases, but I don't want to be held to that because it's, it's, it's excuse me, deaths. I mean, we're, we're going to have millions of cases, but I, I just don't think that we really need to make a projection When it's such a moving target that you can so easily be wrong and mislead people.
0: Okay. So here we have Jim Acosta, of course, CNN. He starts quoting the president. You said this on May, such and so. You said this on May, such and so. You said it wasn't as bad on May, such and so. So what is the point of that questioning? What does he want the president to say? My experts were dead wrong. I'm lying to the American people, blah, blah, blah. It, it's just an amazing thing. The Russia hoax media that has been wrong for years, the Ukraine hoax media, this is why the people cannot stand these people, and I can't stand them either. Now we have from 5:38, former New York Times writer and his staff. He, he set up this site. It's supposed to be based purely on statistics and making analyses from statistics. Since one of the most pernicious parts of the COVID-19 crisis is how uncertain everything is, researchers and officials cite statistical models that estimate infection rates, death counts, and when things will go back to normal. But these estimates are changing rapidly. And as the forecasters bounce around, so do the rest of us living through the crisis. How can one feel settled when the future feels so vulnerable? Still, there's a way... To at least get a sense for what the experts are thinking for the past five weeks, infectious disease researchers from institutions around the United States have been taking a survey that gathers their thoughts on the trajectory of the virus. The research come from academia, government and industry and are experts in modeling and so forth and so on. The top line numbers are sobering. Most recent survey taken on March 16 and 17 found that as a group, the experts think that as of March 15, only 12% of infections in the U.S. have been reported. And it goes on and on. So this is where the president gets his advice, gets his input, makes his statements and draws his conclusions. And yet the media try to make him look like a fool. The media try to trip him up. First question out of the box. Why are they doing this? I have found John Roberts and Fox to be outstanding, by the way. Absolutely outstanding. And I don't know who these OAN reporters are, but they've been terrific too, obviously from a conservative perspective. But a purely journalistic perspective, John Roberts has been terrific. He asks serious questions. And then you have them quoting the president over the weekend and quoting them inaccurately. And he tells them, read the full quote. They read the full quote. It's clearly inaccurate the way it was used by the reporter. And the reporter is still attacking. We have a very immature, unprofessional, uh, ideological media in this country today. It's the worst I've ever seen in my lifetime. Maybe the worst we've ever had. Like I wrote in Unfreedom of the Press. At least in the past, of course, we've had reporters who might identify with a party or identify with a cause, and they would present themselves that way. But not today. They actually pretend to be reporters. And when they're not regurgitating communist Chinese propaganda, they're out there looking to trip up a president. What would be in the mind of a Jim Acosta to have... His staff are for him to go back and look at the quotes of the president of the United States. Go to the press conference. Act like nothing's been said for an hour. The American people are sitting on the edges of their chairs to try and find out what the hell's going on here. And to play games. And CNN's very proud of this. And Jeff Mothersucker is very proud of this. Now, I'd like to raise another point. With the data. We were told recently that the data coming out of England, where they predicted enormous number of deaths, where the so-called expert there got his model all wrong. And Dr. Bricks told us that model was all wrong. The very next day, they're talking about 100,000, maybe 200,000 deaths. On the extreme side, about 100,000 to 200,000 deaths. I must confess, it is very difficult not to get whiplash. It is very difficult to follow this. And I spend morning, noon, and night trying to glean what's going on and to convey it to you as best as I can. It's not about politics. Not about politics to me. But as a rational and logical matter, there is simply no question when you're testing, they're now testing an enormous number of people. We've tested over 1 million people. Do you realize how remarkable that is? From no tests and defective tests in the first two weeks at the CDC to a million now. An Abbott lab has come out with a test that takes 5, 10 minutes. You get results quickly like you do a strep or a flu or something like that. And that will be starting, I think, tomorrow or early next week. And others, too. How remarkable capitalism is, despite all the attacks. How remarkable our businesses are, despite, oh, corporate America. Absolutely fantastic. But here's my my concern. First of all, let's take this logically, as I said, and reasonably. When you have more and more tests, your denominator changes. I've been saying this for weeks. Now the backbenchers in radio and TV have picked up on it, finally. And what does that mean? Well, that means the universe gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's good. So you know who's sick or who has the virus. Then when you have total deaths, you can now have a better idea of the number of deaths that are actually related to those that have the virus. To those who actually have the virus. And you have projections that you can make. The more data you have, the better, of course. But as long as the media keep putting up total confirmed cases and total deaths, one box on top of the other, one box next to the other, people are going to think the percentage of death is much higher. Now, look, I'm not going to have to keep saying this. I believe in life, unlike my critics. Life for babies that aren't born, and life for senior citizens. God love them as long as they can live. But that's not my point. My point is, the bigger the denominator, you're going to see the smaller the percentage of deaths as relates to this. And it's coming pretty damn close to under 1% at this point. And that's still a lot of people. But we have all kinds of horrific illnesses that kill a lot of people whether it's cancer or heart disease or diabetes and on and on and on. And a little perspective is helpful. What is particularly scary here is the aggressiveness of this virus, how easy it is to catch, how it hangs around a long time on surfaces. People are now saying it's perhaps airborne. You can get it obviously from spittle and things of that sort. So in other words, anything you touch, you can get it from potentially. And it's scary. The concentrated nature of this, in particular, is scary. But the more tests there are, the more the media are going to scare you. The more the media are going to scare you. You're already scared enough, and rightly so. You're already concerned enough, and rightly so. That's why you're running out and buying toilet paper and water. That's why you're adhering to the task force guidelines. And those are good things to protect yourself and protect your family and protect your neighbor. But I'm talking about the big picture here now. I'll be right back. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning, but what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arnn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue, that having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. I want to thank Dr. Fauci for coming on Life, Liberty, and Levin, my Fox show, two Sundays ago. We have tried a couple of times to get Dr. Bricks, but uh, unfortunately not terribly responsive. So I'm going to drop that. I don't know why, but we're going to drop that and move on. Uh, I also want you to know that the Jim Acostas of the world and the other reporters... It's very interesting. They never asked Cuomo why he didn't order ventilators. These are the the front-line guys, the governors. Never asked him why they didn't have enough hospital beds. In fact, why they diverted funds to solar panels instead of ventilators. They don't ask them those questions, even though they know the governors are in charge. Under our federalist system, the governors are the first response levels. They and the localities. Not the federal government. We had a reporter today that said, uh, would the president support GPS on phones so they can monitor you? A reporter asked that question. Apparently, they're into fascism. Or masks for everyone. Everyone should be required to wear a mask. Now, these fools seem to think that only they should have liberty and to be fools with their liberty. I guess the rest of us are what? We're just to be controlled and dictated to. And I've about had it with these damn governors, too. I've about had it with these G.D. governors. And I'm going to explain exactly what I mean. There are things they can do. There's things they should do. But boy, oh boy. Thank God they're not generals or we would be looking at martial law in these states. I'll be right back. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning, but what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arnn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue. That having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit LevinforHillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. LevinforHillsdale.com.
1: Where Americans meet to defend liberty and defeat tyranny. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811.
0: Now, before I get into some of these governors here... I'm going to talk to some of the people who go on my Facebook and Twitter site. Some of them. Some of them. We have millions, but they know who, I, who they are when I'm about to tell you, shame on you. Shame on you. You pretend to be conservatives. You pretend to believe in private property rights. You pretend to believe in the Constitution. And then you trash General Motors. Even the president has pulled back from that. He was angry with them one day, he pulled back the next. Why? Because when you actually read about what General Motors has been doing and has been trying to do, and the enormous complexity of taking a plant that hasn't been functioning, an assembly line, and changing it from what it used to produce, trucks, to a very, very complex device called a ventilator. And then when you learn there's many kinds of ventilators for different types of usages, and you have to train the workforce, and you have to secure the parts, and you have to get around the patents, it's an enormous task. And General Motors, General Motors Monday, this coming Monday, is going to be producing ventilators. But they were always going to be producing ventilators this coming Monday. But not fast enough, Mark. And they got a bailout, Mark. And they promised this, Mark. And they did that, Mark. Shame on you. Those are Americans who work at General Motors. Those are Americans who work those assembly lines. Those are Americans working day and night looking for parts to make ventilators. On a world market where every country is trying to get ventilators. And they've stepped up. As Ford has stepped up. As so many other companies have stepped up. And then you go on my sites and you trash them as well as trashing me. Not most of you. You know who you are. GM got a bailout. They owe us. What does that have to do with anything? Many of you have gotten bailouts. Many of you are on the dole in one form or another. Not the vast majority of you. I'm talking about the people who went online and did what they did. Not you, my audience. I said to my wife, after reading these things, and then I stopped, they said, you know what, 20 years of this, for nothing. For nothing. For nothing. In 24 hours, it turns around, snap of two fingers. And I'll tell you the irony here, ladies and gentlemen. General Motors was never an advertiser on my radio show. Remember that, Rich? Rich? They wanted to advertise on my radio show. They advertised on every other major national syndicated show. Not mine. Why? Because they got a bailout. And I said, I'm not going to have them on my show. They got a bailout. I don't believe in that. And I don't want them using any of their money to advertise on my show. I was the only one, as far as I know. You ask anybody... Blue collar workers on the assembly lines, people that work for ventilator companies, people that work for truck and car companies, how difficult it is to retool an assembly line, particularly one that hasn't even been in production for God knows how long, and to make probably one of the most complicated pieces of mechanical equipment. How expensive it is, how difficult it is to to source parts, we're talking about tens of thousands of them. But General Motors was trying to shake down the federal government. No, they weren't trying to shake down anybody. They weren't shaking down anybody. The president praises them now. But they were doing this all along. You just can't snap your fingers. And I thought people understood capitalism and free markets and how magnificent they are. And you act like General Motors at fault. General Motors isn't at fault, they're not a ventilator company, there are ventilator companies and over time they could have made all the ventilators the governor of New York needed and wanted. It's the governor of New York who chose not to have ventilators. And the governor of California, and the governor of Illinois, and down the list. General Motors didn't make those decisions, President of the United States and the federal government didn't make those decisions, those states made those decisions. Maryland doesn't have enough ventilators. Well, why doesn't somebody say to the wonderful Larry Hogan over there? who's all over TV. Why not? Where are your priorities? And same with the beds. The federal government doesn't run our hospital rooms, ladies and gentlemen. They don't decide what equipment's in our hospital rooms. The states do, 36 of them anyway, and District of Columbia. What you should have been saying out there is, get rid of these state laws, let hospital companies make as many hospitals as they want, as many beds as they want, purchase as many ventilators and MRIs and CT machines as they want, and let the market work, like it is now. It fills a void. We're patriotic people, whether we work for major corporations or little businesses, whether we're on the assembly line or not on the assembly line whether it's blue-collar, white-collar, union, non-union, we're patriotic people, and to keep turning on each other on my social sites, for God's sakes, was disgusting to me. I had to shut it down. I wouldn't even look at it all day Sunday. I posted things, but I wouldn't read it. And then, Mark, what happened to you? What happened? Nothing's happened to me. I am who I always have been. Always. No, I don't favor bailouts for major corporations. Unless, of course, the government is the reason they need a bailout in the first place. Which turns, has me turn to the states. And by the way, wouldn't it have been weird in early March, Jim Acosta and the other low IQ left-wing kooks dressed up as journalists if the president in early march had said hey look i want everyone to get masks i want everyone to stay home uh i uh, we're going to shutter businesses out there we're going to do this we're going to do wouldn't that have been weird based on the data he had mr producer so the media are pushing for martial law Now, of course martial law involves a military dictatorship but something akin to martial right out of the box early March, despite what the president's being told by his medical experts and his scientific experts, what the media seem to be saying is, you should have shut down businesses. And by the way, the president's not shutting down businesses. The governors are. But you should have forced people to stay in their homes. By the way, the president's not in charge of forcing people to stay in their homes. He's putting out guidelines. The governors are. These idiot, phony journalists don't even know who has the power to do what, and who's made these decisions? Rather than playing games with the President Jim Acosta, you jackass, you should get your butt to Albany and ask the governor what the hell he was doing. The Great Peace in the Hill by Jonathan Turley. It's great because it basically regurgitates what we've been saying here, but that's OK. He's a professor. Governors should focus on tackling coronavirus rather than shift blame. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo called on the federal government to take control of the medical supply market. Illinois Governor J.P. Pritzker, by the way, this guy Pritzker, he and his family are extremely rich. I believe he's a billionaire from the Hilton Hotel, among other things. And isn't it interesting now, while our geniuses in Congress exempted the president, the vice president, and Congress from receiving their businesses, receiving any relief, as if members of Congress have enough businesses to get relief. And everyone knows the vice president does, so it was a bill aimed at the president. Notice how the governor of Illinois is not mentioned. He's a hotel magnet. His family is. But don't worry. He's going to get relief. And I'm sure those intrepid reporters in the liberal newspapers in Chicago are going to give it to the governor. You wait and watch but don't hold your breath. Let me go on. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo called on the federal government to take control of the medical supply market. Illinois Governor J.B. Britsker demanded the president take charge and said, quote, precious months, unquote, were wasted, waiting for the federal action. Some critics are even more direct in demanding a federal takeover, including a national quarantine. By the way, there is absolutely no constitutional or legal basis for a president to have a national quarantine or even to direct quarantines in any states or counties. I'm sure that's why the president said, no, I'm not going to do it. Not even during the Civil War. It is the legal version of panic shopping rights, Turley. Many seem to long for federal takeovers, if not martial law. This is what shocked me on my social sites. And this is what shocks me today. You have in North Carolina Christians protesting an abortion clinic who were arrested over the weekend because they gathered more than 10 together. You have the incompetent, left-wing, devious mayor of New York City telling churches and synagogues, if you have services of more than 10 over the weekend, I will permanently shut you down. It's not even a matter of fining them. He will permanently shut down churches and synagogues? And by the way, it is a good idea not to gather in large numbers because you'll kill each other. It's just absurd. But that said, for a mayor to say, I will permanently shut it down? Would the mayor of LA say any business that does not comply with his edicts, he will shut off their electricity and gasoline and water? But don't worry, I have my papers. I am essential. And I guess I need it now. Now that the governor of Virginia, yeah, the guy that was in blackface, that governor, he's still there, is shutting down much of the state of Virginia. In coordination with the genius governor of Maryland, in coordination with the genius mayor. Of Washington, D.C. Now they have all kinds of exceptions, of course. If you're a tax preparer and they need their money, you're okay. If you're providing abortions, uh, you're okay, you know, that sort of thing. Anyway, Turley goes on. It is the legal version of panic shopping. Many seem to long for federal takeovers, if not martial law. Yet like all panic shopping, they're buying into far more than they need while not doing as much as they could with what they have. For decades, governors tried to retain principal authority over public emergencies, but they did very little with those powers. While many are doing oppressive work now, some governors seem as eager to contain the blame as the coronavirus, call it political distancing. Even if Trump nationalized the crisis by by deploying troops, imposing price controls, and forcing production of ventilators, the Constitution has left most police authority and public health safety to the states in our system of federalism. You support that, right? Or only when, when there's good times. The framers believed liberties and powers were safest when held closest to citizens in local and state governments. Elected officials at the local and state levels are more readily held accountable than unknown Washington bureaucrats. Now, of course, with authority comes responsibility, and the latter notion is not always as welcome as the former. Despite all the hyperbole of the last few days, the federal authority of the president to act is much more limited than many appear to believe. He cannot and should not simply take over the crisis. While he may want to open for business by Easter, he has no clear authority to lift state orders for citizens to stay home. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be even more direct than Turley. He has no authority to lift state orders on citizens staying home. He has no authority to open businesses that governors have shut. None. He has no authority to, to, to require hospitals and states to have more beds or to have more ventilators? None. While he can put some conditions on assistance. He cannot commandeer the authority of governors and their responses to the pandemic. Now, I'm going to continue on this when I come back. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning. But what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arnn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue. That having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit LevinforHillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. LevinforHillsdale.com. At the end of the program, actually in the last segment of the... uh, No, last hour of the program, I want to talk about a man who I... uh, Came to respect enormously, who passed away over the weekend. Magnificent senator and patriot and leader, and an enormously decent man. And uh, he'd been on this program, but in particular, he'd been on Life, Liberty, and Levin. He was an activist in the Convention of States. As I say, I. I really came to admire him enormously. And uh, we're going to bring Mark Meckler on, Convention States, near the end of the program to talk about him. Just a tremendous man uh, who will be missed uh, enormously. All right, where am I? Sorry. Uh, let's see here. We are at Optima Tax Relief. I'm alerted that I didn't mention who the gentleman was, Tom Coburn, of course. What a tremendous person. I'll tell you, it was an absolute punch to the gut for me and my wife. Came to know him and met him. And he was fighting prostate cancer for years. And he left the United States Senate because he was fed up. He said, we're not getting anything done here. And he wanted to commit the rest of his life to his family and to Convention of states. So you'll you'll hear more about him. There's no way I was going to let today go without uh, spending some time talking about him despite everything else that's going on. You know when we return I want to finish this piece by Turley This goes to the issue of whether you believe in liberty or not, federalism or not We're not saying governors don't have power Governors have a lot of power That's one of the reasons you need to keep an eye on them But on the one hand they can't have all this power and the responsibility for hospital beds and ICU beds and ventilators and all and then because of their failure to plan or shortages because they can't manage a crisis, they want things federalized all of a sudden. It's it's like sanctuary cities. They believe in the centralization of power except when they have power at the local and state level. I'll be right back.
2: From the Westwood One Podcast
1: Network. He's here. He's here.
0: Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. At least you'll learn a lot, right? Listen to the program. I'll give you an example. Jonathan Turley's piece in which he, he's a liberal and he's arguing for federalism. And he's saying, hey, governors, you have all this power. The federal government doesn't have all this power. You do. He's saying, don't don't nationalize a crisis. There are national issues that have to be addressed. It's a pandemic. It crosses state lines and so forth. But in terms of ventilators missing in your state, beds missing in your state, we shouldn't now nationalize companies. Make the matter a hundred times worse. Plus, the president doesn't have this power anyway. Quarantine the nation. Quarantine states. Federal government doesn't have that power. He goes on, Federal. Dis- this is very important. Federal disaster relief and control is a relatively recent phenomenon. The response to the Galveston Hurricane in 1900, with some 12,000 dead, was almost entirely by Texas. After the San Francisco earthquake in 1906, with around 3,000 dead, federal troops helped maintain order and establish medical units. But the recovery was primarily an effort by California. Now listen to this. Let's guess this. Mr. Medusa, do you know when FEMA was established? The Federal Emergency Management Agency was not created until 1979. 1979. Its mandate was to coordinate national responses to assist state and local governments in disasters. It was never meant to shift control of the federal government. He says, I was a critic of the Model State Emergency Health Powers Act adopted by the states in 2002 as the way to respond to public emergencies from terrorist attacks to pandemics. As a civil libertarian, he says, I was alarmed by the sweeping language giving governors virtually unchecked authority. I objected that they already had significant authority And these laws created absolute authority, left entirely to the discretion of individual governors. And now you're seeing that. My objection was that it seemed premised on the idea that the best cure for terrorism may be a small dose of tyranny. An author of the model had responded by saying, You do have to face hard trade-offs between civil liberties and property rights of individuals against the collective rights of society. We do not need to give up a little bit. Excuse me. We do need to give up a little bit. Now, the immediate trade-off is that the authority held by governors is only as effective as each governor. States remain in the best position to address emergencies, and such laws gave governors ample authority to act. But they did relatively little in the next two decades to prepare for public health emergencies. Now, we've talked about this, Turley does here now as well. A New York Health Department Task Force report in 2015 has resurfaced, warning that the state faces a shortage of 15,000 ventilators in a pandemic. This is five years ago. While the report did not call for stockpiling supplies, states clearly have not done enough, individually or collectively, to set aside such resources. Media coverage has referred to the National Emergency Act, along with other impressive statutory titles, to suggest the president can order national quarantines and take over management of this crisis. Actually, these laws follow the same model laid out by the Constitution in leaving the responses to state control. The often cited Stafford Act, this is the, uh, what they call the Defense Production Act, for instance, merely heightens the authority of federal technical, financial, logistical, and other kinds of assistance to state and local governments. It's meant to advance priorities instead of establishing a nationalized industrial base. If companies have agreed to expand production or retool for the new products, then there's no need to impose mandates under this law since that process is unlikely to go any faster. This is why I objected to what the president did with General Motors. And many of the people going onto my social sites thought it was kind of swell, kind of cool. In fact, nationalization can slow rather than speed relief in emergencies with replacing existing systems. With indemnifications and large orders, business executives have incentive to expand production. If their General Motors failed to meet the expectations on production, Trump invoked the act, and that is precisely how it should be handled. We have a strong disagreement there. First of all, the act has already been invoked. The issue is to the extent to which you enforce different aspects of it, not invoke it. So I want to split that here. Secondly, General Motors was already doing this, which is why now the administration is praising General Motors. General Motors can't move any faster or slower as a result of an edict. It's just not possible. There's one additional misconception on this that, a more historical, that is more hi- historical than legal. Many have referred to the need for Trump to use the same authority Franklin Roosevelt wielded during World War II. But the situation of the case is different. Back then... There was considerable control exercised over industry. The most companies had voluntarily agreed to retool to make the necessary equipment for obvious business reasons. But it was was primarily through the control of raw materials and prices that the federal government could exercise choke point control. It could expand agricultural production, not by taking over farms but by setting the crop prices high to encourage expansion. Even with massive national control, it took about 18 months for a coherent system of production to emerge, and that effort was largely based on price and resource controls, and it goes on. I think I can count on one hand the number of civil libertarians who are left in this country. I really do. Do you hear anybody else talking about liberty, property rights, Federalism, no, very few. In fact, people say, don't get in the way, conservatism has changed, we have a new model, conservatives no longer believe in federalism or fiscal responsibility. I want to give you an example of what's going on out there because of this massive bill with at least $1 or $1.2 trillion in outrageous waste, welfareism, and redistribution of wealth. I received this in, in an email involving a, a college or a university, and this is the real deal. I'm not going to read the name of the person who sent it from the college and university, and I'm not going to, uh, to tell you the person who received it, but I want to read this to you. This is advice that was given to students uh, today. Early this morning, on the so-called relief or stimulus bill. Ready? Ready for this, Mr. Producer? This is going to infuriate all of you. It's a major university. Payments, that is, the $1,200 payment, individual payment. Payments will be made based on 2019 tax returns, or if those are not available, 2018 tax returns. So this is advice the school is giving to their students. Adults are eligible for up to $1,200 as long as you are not claimed as an independent on someone else's tax return. If your parents claimed you as an independent, you will not receive a payment. Please talk to your parents if you're unsure if you are or should be claimed on their returns. If you have previously provided your bank account information to the IRS, they will direct deposit your stimulus payment. Everyone will receive a paper check. Here you go. Ready? Here's the killer. If you have not yet filed a tax return for 2018 or 2019, and you are not, capital and OT, claimed as dependent on your parents' tax returns, you should file a return ASAP. Even if you had no income, no income, you can still file a tax return claiming zero income. It's our understanding that because the minimum income provision was removed from the final version of the stimulus bill, those with no income will receive a payment. In other words, you'll get your $1,200. If your income is low or zero, you can file online for free, and they give you the link. You can also print, fill out a mail, a paper form, they give you the link. There's no cutoff for when you must file to receive the payment. However, the sooner you file, the sooner you'll receive the funds. Do you understand what this is saying, Mr. Producer? It's telling students who aren't working, apparently, who have no income. And if the 2019, if their parents' tax returns haven't been filed yet, consult with your parents. Because you can get a free $1,200 check. Even though you're not unemployed, even though you weren't furloughed, even though you weren't fired, even though you never earned a penny. You're just going to school. And in many cases, you're not even going to school anymore. You're working from home or studying at home or whatever you're doing. You can get a $1,200 check. I told you when a bill is this big, the system can be played. And now we have a college telling their students to play the system. And this college isn't alone. And I suspect when all said and done, you're going to have thousands, if not tens of thousands of college students law students, medical students, graduate students of every kind, receiving checks, assuming their parents decided that it's better that they receive direct checks than to treat them as dependents on their tax returns. And depending on your income, you can't even treat your kids as dependents on your tax returns if you earn over a certain amount. So the children of wealthy people might get $1,200 checks. But regardless... The system is being played. This is infuriating. And these colleges and universities are telling their students, at least one is, how to do it. You can get $1,200. Just file a return that says zero. You haven't made any money. Good. You're going to get $1,200. that will stimulate stuff, won't it, ladies and gentlemen? That doesn't get Americans back to work. That doesn't produce a damn thing. Particularly when governors are shuttering businesses left and right. Left and right. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. No, I was talking about GM earlier. And how ashamed I was of so many of the people who went on the social sites and exposed themselves for being socialists. Well, let me tell you something else. When this is all said and done, I hope the nation has a newfound respect for our pharmaceutical companies and the scientists and experts that they employ in the research and development and the hundreds of billions of dollars they pour into their their businesses. We don't hear much from Bernie Sanders these days, do we? The democratic socialists, as they finally call themselves, have no answers to any of this other than nationalizing, redistributing. They don't know ventilators from escalators. Who are we relying on now? we are relying on to get us the treatments, to find us the vaccines, to make the beds? The government can order people around all at once, but we have to have the know-how and we have to have the capacity to do it. They're not being made in any department of the federal government. They're not being made because of people making threats or anything of the sort. We have company after company Many, many companies, many we don't even know about. Trying to fix the problem. And this problem is extraordinarily complex. On the one hand, you're trying to treat people who are extremely ill or might become extremely ill or are sick but not extremely ill. And on the other hand, you're trying to prevent other people from getting ill and dying. So you have the prevention side <clears throat> where people are trying to come up with therapies and vaccines and various types of social behavior advice and so forth. And then you have the other side, the treatment side. The treatment side. And what's interesting to me is the treatment side largely has been left to the states. And what you're finding is in these metropolitan areas, which are almost all Democrat, they didn't prioritize very well, did they? All the issues that the left has pressed upon us, we hear nothing about them anymore. Doctors and nurses breaking their backs. Emergency personnel breaking their backs. Cops, firefighters, everybody breaking their backs. Truckers, FedEx, UPS, 18-wheelers breaking their backs. Farmers, and go on and on and on. People working at grocery stores. We've talked about this. And you know what's not mentioned right now, Mr. Producer? What What their racial identity is. Isn't it funny we're not talking about race right now? We're not talking about genitalia right now. We're not talking about what little boys should go to girls' rooms or little girls should go to boys' rooms. In other words, we're not talking about the left's agenda at all. And who is it that we're relying on to get these things done? To build beds, to build ventilators, to make masks, and all the other PP&E that's necessary. The private sector. That's who we're relying on, to find a way out of this. We can have experts throughout the federal government telling us what we should do, what they think they should do. Oh, and who else? The Army Corps of Engineers in the military. Two naval medical ships. And oh, and who else? The cops, among others. And law enforcement and emergency personnel, all these institutions that are constantly under attack by the left, it is important to know this, that are constantly under attack by the left, are the institutions we must now rely on to help us through this. Even the left wing Democrat governors, even the left wing Republican governor in Maryland, at the top of their lungs, All they can do is beg. We need more ventilators. We need more beds. Please, please, please. When the buck stopped with them, apparently they burned it. We're not making them fast enough. It's incredible when you step back and really think about it. We don't have a number of hospital beds that we need as you never will during a pandemic, but we could have done much better. The state bureaucracies and governors failed us. We don't have enough ventilators in places like New York and California. The state governors and state houses failed us. Wasn't FEMA's job, wasn't the CDC's job, wasn't NIH's job, wasn't the mothership at the Department of HHS's job. We need more therapies. We need a vaccine. Where are we going to get it? Which department's going to give it to us? No department's going to give it to us. Which level of government will give it to us? No government's going to give it to us. Those pharmaceutical companies that Bernie Sanders has attacked, quite frankly... Republicans in Congress, even individuals in this administration have attacked as profligate, as ripping us off. They're the ones who are going to give us the answers and save untold lives and treat untold numbers of people who are sick. Put a dollar figure on that. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. I'll be right back.
4: Seeking the truth never gets old.
1: 773813811
0: Okay, a friend of mine writes me, "The IRS will catch up with those students." I don't think she understands. There's nothing for the IRS to catch up to. It's legal under the bill. It's perfectly legal under the bill. There is no violation. It is a poorly written bill, rushed through. And there's going to be a hell of a lot more than this. You mark my words. A year from now, people will look back on this. And by the way, everyone will forget, Mark raised this. Mark talked about No, no, no. They'll all be saying, like I told you, which, of course, they never did. I just read it to you. They're encouraging people to do this, students, and it's perfectly legal. $1,200 going to students. Who were never furloughed, never lost a job, have zero income because there's no minimum income requirement. See, there's a reason for these things. That's why, when Mnuchin and Congress took off the requirement on the unemployment, they would earn that you would get something less than a hundred percent. That way, you don't discourage people from getting jobs at some point. That's why what they did will hurt the economy and make it more difficult to get people to work when the time comes because they're getting 100% for doing nothing. Now that's just damn wrong. There are people out there who are really hurting. And when you think about it, if you focus resources, it's the people who are really hurting who could actually get more rather than this Throwing money at everything. But I just don't think there's enough support in this country anymore to stop this kind of behavior. I really don't. I think there's a few of us basically calling to ourselves, speaking to ourselves. You know, if you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time in your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Now, Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Now's the perfect time to do it. If you're homeschooling right now, too, perfect. You're home from college, you're stuck. They're also very, very compelling and very interesting. And you can do it right in your own home, on demand and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, and Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. You can register now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece. It paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to LevinFrayHillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N-FrayHillsdale.com, LevinFrayHillsdale.com. Do you know the 1917-1918 period as World War I was winding up and it was a horrific war, America also had this pandemic. So America was fighting a war under Woodrow Wilson and fighting a pandemic. And at that point of the war, more people were dying from the pandemic than dying from World War I. And the federal government under Wilson was in fact involved in a number of things having almost nothing to do with the pandemic. Why? Why? Well, number one, the federal government didn't have the power back then that it has today. Number two, the focus was on winning a war. Even though more people were dying at that point from the pandemic. And number three, the federal government wasn't expected to step in. It didn't have any mechanism, didn't have any tradition, didn't have any history doing any of this sort of thing. I mean, Woodrow Wilson used a lot of federal power that really didn't belong to the federal government. He set up a propaganda operation. He was nationalizing some industries. He was doing all these things to fight the war. But you had a real war, World War I, plus a pandemic. Of course, we don't have a world war of that sort, a military world war right now. We have this war against this virus, as we call it. We have a very activist federal government. We have a federal government that spends like never before. Deficit spends, overall debt, on-budget debt. It's massive. And the funny thing is, this is not really in our tradition. This has really started in the last 80 or so years with the New Deal and so forth. I'm just explaining some context again, which, of course, the left doesn't care about or will use against me or whatever, But I'm talking to you. I don't talk to them. Unless, of course, I'm railing against them. But that's interesting, isn't it? That we were fighting a world war and a pandemic at the same time. What would we do today if that took place? Think we could handle it? Would we have to write everybody checks? See, this is what's frustrating me, that I'm in a very small minority here, that numerous people who shouldn't get checks, who shouldn't get loans, tenants who shouldn't be protected, I'm not saying all, tenants who shouldn't be protected, and on and on down the list, are getting subsidies, are getting money, are getting loans. This is infuriating me. This is utterly unnecessary. Focused relief, of course. Watching these press conferences by these reporters, it's 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 frustrating as hell. They know why there's a shortage of ventilators has nothing to do with Trump. It's nothing to do with the federal government. <coughs> Excuse me. They know why there's a shortage of beds and ICU beds in particular has nothing to do with Trump, has nothing to do with the federal government. Nothing. And I want you to think about something, folks. Let's say we had a single-payer, government-run healthcare system today. How do you think that would work out? All the ideas, all the actions in the private sector, whether they're pharmaceutical companies or whatever kind of companies they are, they'd be under the thumb of the federal government. And you know what's interesting? Nobody wants that today. Nobody even suggests it today, other than reporters who apparently want some kind of martial law. One reporter today, you know, what about a GPS on phones? What is this, this woman an idiot? The answer is yes, she's an idiot. Masks for everybody. Ask the president if he can mandate masks, that everyone wear masks. It's bad enough we have some governors who are using this as a political opportunity to go after protesters at abortion clinics. To go after religious institutions. And I'm not talking about those that meet in mosques. I think that's a very stupid idea. Your congregants are going to get very ill. But I'm talking about their threats. We're going to shut you forever? Does the mayor have that kind of power? Does anybody even ask? Or some of them, at least initially, but also took advantage to shut down gun shops? Why? Are they? More than 10 people, look, I told you before, I I go to a bagel place now and then. You stand outside the door, they don't allow anybody in, you shout your order, you pay your money, and you go home. And everybody has to be six feet apart. You tell me you can't do that at a gun shop? No, this is an opportunity for some of these mayors and governors to do what they do, which is lousy. Just like Nancy Pelosi. Now, Nancy Pelosi is a very sick old lady. And really, during the course of this virus, she should be in a padded room with a door that has a peak hole, and that's it. And enough room under the door where you can slide her a tray uh, of oatmeal or or mashed potatoes or applesauce uh, so you don't have to keep cleaning her teeth. She's a despicable despicable fraud in every respect and she has a mental issue that cannot stop her from attacking the President of the United States even in a situation like this this is why I support term limits ladies and gentlemen she's been around I think since 1981 I don't have time to Google she's well past her expiration date in terms of being an effective politician well human being for that matter and she does an interview in which she, uh, she attacks Trump, but attacks him in an enormously vicious way. At CNN, Jake Tapper. Jake Tapper's an idiot too, dumb guy, complete fraud. His whole life's been a fraud. Let's go to Cut Five, Mr. Producer, go.
3: What the president, his uh, denial at the beginning... Uh, was deadly. His delaying of getting uh, equipment to where it continues. His right, delaying. Let, so let's stop there.
0: Delaying getting equipment, his denial at the beginning was deadly, cost lives. The president wasn't responsible for getting equipment anywhere. He jumped into the void and has done and did do everything humanly possible to move the federal government, to move the bureaucracy, to bring in private sector corporations, to bring in experts in something we've never seen before, certainly not in the last hundred years. And Jake Tapper lets her go on and on knowing damn well that in terms of getting equipment it was the state's responsibility. But I have to ask you folks, Mr. Call Greener tells me she was first elected in nineteen eighty seven. Okay, great. Nancy Pelosi's been around a long, long time. Thirty three years. Can somebody point to one statement she's made in the last five years about pandemic preparation? That the states aren't prepared? that they need to do more to have beds and ventilators. Can somebody point to one example to me? Can anybody point to her ever saying that in the three years that Trump has been president, three and a half years or so? Any time during the impeachment increase, the Russia increase? How about Schumer? Anybody recall Chuck Schumer second-guessing the governors and the state legislature in New York? Schumer's been in office, starting at the state assembly, since virtually the moment he graduated from law school. So in his entire career, State Assembly, the House of the United States, and then the Senate. Aren't these people supposed to be the experts? Don't they have committees? What are oversight hearings for? To go after the president? Tell me, if they hadn't issued hundreds and hundreds of subpoenas against this president trying to trip him up and take him out, might they have been a little bit more tuned in When by mid to late November, give or take, reports started to come out of communist China about this virus? No, they were busy with subpoenas. Subpoenas. Why don't we hear from Adam Schiff anymore? Who's the slob that ran the House Judiciary Committee? I can't even remember his name right now. What's his name, Mr. Do You remember his name? How about you, Mr. Call Do you remember his name? People are shouting to it. Isn't it amazing we're drawing a blank? And that's what history is going to say about these people. They're a blank. An absolute blank. What about John Bolton's book deal? Simon & Schuster, I'm sure, lost a lot of money on that. Anybody care to read John Bolton's book now? What John Bolton have to say about the call with Ukraine? Ah, get out of here. Who gives an S? Right? Oh, yeah, Nadler. That slob. Nobody even cares about Nadler anymore. But what's fascinating to me also is the media keeps saying, why didn't they know sooner? Why didn't they? Do? Tell me, folks. Is the media just a recept- a receptacle to uh, to the government? That is, what I'm trying to say is, doesn't the media have an independent responsibility to report news? Not just from the government, but news. The media had nothing to say about pandemics and preparation. I watch it very closely. I don't think in the last 10 years they've said a damn thing on, on most of these uh, television stations. Why not? They let us down too, didn't they? The same a-holes... They're at these press conferences. Mr. President, didn't you say March this? Didn't you say March that? Tell me, Jim Acosta, why didn't you look into issues of pandemics and whether states are ready and the, what the federal government has in inventory? Why didn't you look at that? You're the White House reporter for CNN, the cable news network. You idiot. I'll be right back. March, Levin. You know, it's shocking that your home could be stolen this easily. Deborah learned that brutal lesson when thieves found the title to her home online. And desperate people now, ladies and gentlemen, are going to be doing desperate things, so you really do need to protect your home and your home's equity. Then they forged the document to appear she sold her home, but she hadn't. Then they borrowed thousands using her home's equity. Deborah didn't know she was a victim until foreclosure notices arrived and an eviction notice. She spent a fortune trying to get her home back. The crime is home title fraud, and the FBI calls it one of the fastest-going crimes. My advice for avoiding a possible nightmare is to follow my lead and protect your home with a home title lock. And no, neither your homeowner's insurance nor bank protects you. It's just pennies a day, and that's what home title lock does for you. But first things first, find out if you're already a victim of home title fraud. Register your home at hometitlelock.com, enter mark, and you'll get one month of free protection. Again, enter Mark for one month free at HometitleLock.com, HometitleLock.com, code Mark. Remarkably, in a piece that came out by Dr. Fauci, among others, COVID 19 Navigating the Uncharted, this piece came out a couple days ago. And it talks about the latest threat, and it says on the basis of case definition requiring a diagnosis of pneumonia, the currently reported case fatality rate is approximately 2%. Another article in the journal, the journal Gone or whatever it's pronounced, reported mortality of 1.4% among 1,099 patients with a laboratory confirmed COVID 19. These patients had a wide spectrum of disease severity. If one assumes that the number of asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic cases is in several times as high as the number of reported cases, the case fatality rate may be considerably less than one percent, which, of course, is a point I've been making among others. Now, listen to this. This suggests that the over, this is Fauci and, and company, not me. This suggests that the overall clinical consequences of, COVID, uh, of COVID-19 may ultimately be more akin to those of a severe seasonal influenza, which is a case fatality rate approximately 0.1%, or a pandemic influenza, similar to those in 1957 and 1968, rather than a disease similar to SARS or MERS, which have had case fatality rates of 9 10 and 36%, respectively. Now, what are we supposed to make of that, Mr. Producer? He says, based on the evidence just a few days ago, it suggests a, a severe uh, seasonal influenza, quote-unquote, or pandemic influenza, similar to 1957 and 1968. What are we supposed to make of that? Seriously. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.
1: deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin.
0: Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Well, the New York Slimes that covered up the Holocaust uh, as they point out in the Daily Wire, the editorial board calls for more access to abortions during the pandemic. Imagine that. These are sick people. More access to abortions? Doesn't that kill people? No, Mark, you don't understand. It's a choice. Oh. Then I move over to the Washington Compost, and there's a guy by the name of Eric Wemple there. Another sleaze ball. They have a whole list of sleazeballs over there. But he's a media critic, don't you know? And the title of his piece is Hannity Must Go. Recent personnel actions at Fox, they are obsessed with Fox. It's amazing. Maybe people ought to start reporting on the personnel actions and individuals at the Washington Compost. The various affairs that are taking place and so forth. Recent personnel actions at Fox just happen to have fallen when people turn away from their phones and laptops. And he goes on. And he's saying Hannity needs to go. In late January, Hannity interviewed Anthony Fauci, longtime director of the National Institute of Oh, you don't say. And contemplated the, the possibility of a public crisis. What if it's worse, asked the host. Weeks later, that cautious, curious posture was gone. In late February, Hannity's rhetoric amped up as the coronavirus started to gobble up more and more national mindset for context He talks. he's got, he worked very hard on this piece, went back and looked at it. February 21, that the president was furious with AIDS, where they handled 14 Americans in Japan who had tested positive for coronavirus. February 23, fewer than 500 people from 43 states had been, are being tested for the virus. February 5, Vox rounded up the Trump administration's failures in responding to coronavirus and goes on and on. It was right in the midst of this bad news plum that Hannity offered his ill-informed takes on the virus just as the president was coming under attack and needed someone on cable to defend him. Hey, jackass, I played the January 26th interview of Dr. Fauci himself at Cat's Roundtable, a podcast, where Fauci told the American people they pretty much have nothing to worry about, just hang in there, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you provide some context? You can't do it, can you? You can't do it. He says, uh, Hannity blasted minority leader Schumer on February 26th for using coronavirus to bludgeon President Trump. It's exactly what he's been doing. Not telling the truth, as usual shameless politicizing of health and the well-being of Americans. The next night he kept it up, Only after Backlash managed to place him within roaming distance, and he goes on. By mid-March, Hannity was sounding the alarm on the virus. You know what? You know what's interesting? Hannity and so many others were following the science. He was following the science. He was following Fauci and Bricks. He was following their statements. That's what Hannity was doing. Wimple, you pimple and an elephants, you know what? Hannity must go. Hannity must stay. He's the highest-rated show on cable news, month after month after month, year after year after year. And Eric Pimple here, who's really a no media critic, says he should go. You see, Pimple, we've all been trying to follow the science. It's not so simple. President's trying to follow it. Hannity, I'm sure. I am. The American people. And sometimes you need a neck brace. Like over the weekend, it really swung from one level to the other. All right, enough of this puke. Hannity must go to the Washington Post. What are there, three people that read that newspaper now? Had to be saved. It was going bankrupt. But don't worry. Eric Pimple will tell us who should stay and who should go. But notice Eric Pimple, media critic, doesn't explain the position Fauci had early on. And that Schumer, what Schumer said was so outrageous and vicious. But then again, it's the Washington Compost, which, along with the New York Slimes, helped cover up the Holocaust in the middle of the Holocaust. I just want you to know that. It's true. Then we have Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd is one of the most diabolical, stupid people on TV today. And I mean this truly. He's near the top, if not at the top. I want you to listen to this. Cut nine from Meet the Depressed with Joe Biden Sunday, yesterday. Go.
4: You know, your campaign put out in a critique of, of President Trump and says if he doesn't do these things, you know, he could, he could cost lives. Do you think there's already – do you think there is blood on the president's hands considering the slow response? Or is that too, too hard for so, to so
0: stop right there. What kind of a human being is this? Do you think there's already blood on the president's hand? He could be one of these radical kook Democrats in Congress or on the sidelines. But he's the actual politics director for NBC News and the host of Meet the Press, Tim Russard. We miss him deeply. Tim Russell was a Democrat. He worked for Democrats on Capitol Hill. But a sensible, intelligent, careful guy. He became a real journalist, unlike all these other Democrats who convert into journalism. Not one damn one of them is a serious, careful person. The president had blood on his hands? Tell me, uh, schmucky Chucky Todd, how come you don't ask that of... Andrew Cuomo, who was in charge of ventilators in hospital beds, or any other governor. And by the way, Biden's been around forever. What the hell did he do about pandemics? He was also the vice president. are all the ventilators and the masks. What the hell is this? But even Joe Biden had enough sense to respond semi-coherently. Go ahead.
4: I think that's a little too harsh. I think what's And he happening goes
0: there. on, I think that's a little too harsh. And you know what? NBC, which is owned by Comcast, they won't punish this guy. Or as this guy Eric Pimple says, they won't say he has to go. No, 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 no. He's a disgrace. And here's another one. Brian Williams should never be allowed back on television again. Unless they bring back the gong show. And he's even been reduced to SLSD. This is a guy who lied through his teeth about his adventures with himself. So he attacks this Dr. Burks. Go ahead, cut ten, please.
5: He's been so attentive to the scientific literature and the details and the data. And I think his, his ability to analyze and integrate data that comes out of his long history in business has really been a real benefit during these discussions about medical issues.
2: That was translated from the original North Korean back in the real world.
0: Stop, 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 stop. See that? The original North Korean, you idiot. The North Korean generals watch MSNBC. So he's trashing the doctor. And everything she said there just happens to be true. But they've tried to create this narrative of Trump. They try to humiliate him. They try and degrade him. They have no idea how they're destroying and have destroyed their own so-called profession. They have no idea. And this is not a good thing for America. It's why I wrote Unfreedom of the Press. Go ahead.
4: Here's a reminder. Over a n- month ago, on February 25th, the CDC warned coronavirus spread was inevitable here. Yes, in yes, country.
0: but Brian, Brian, at the end of January... Mr. Fauci said this was not something to worry about. So why, why are you playing this game? And you in the media, you were nowhere to be found. You were busy chasing down John Bolton. You're busy demanding that the Senate continue to paralyze itself because you were activists and mouthpieces for Nancy Pelosi. Now here is Bill de Blasio, the cameo, at a press conference yesterday, cut eleven. Go.
2: Everyone has been instructed that if they see worship services going uh, services going on, uh, they will go uh, to the officials of that congregation. They'll inform them they need to stop the services and disperse. If that does not happen, they will take additional action up to the point of uh, fines and potentially uh, closing the building permanently.
0: Closing the building permanently. That is shocking. Okay, you don't want crowds getting to, I got that. And maybe you find people and so I've got that. But, Mr. Producer, cut it out. But you don't need to close buildings permanently. That is shocking. I'll be right back. love, in. Mark Meckler is in charge of convention of states. He was a very close friend of Senator Tom Coburn's. So and Mark, I, uh, I want to talk about Tom Coburn uh, and how you got to know him, and who met whom, and who suggested that he be part of this movement, and what you know about him because you were, you became very close to him.
4: Yeah, Tom and I spent the last five years traveling the country together. And the very first time I met Tom was in his Senate office building. Uh, This was actually prior to Convention of States. It was during the height of the Tea Party movement. And the thing that stood out to me most about Tom and and why I knew he was so different from everybody else I was meeting in D.C., Mark, is he made a point of telling me I've never spoken publicly about the Tea Party movement. And he said, I want you to know it's not because I don't support it. It's because he got all these people up on Capitol Hill, and they all claim to be something to do with the Tea Party movement, and they're not. He said, you know, I've always believed in what you stand for. I just don't want you to think I'm ever trying to profit from it politically. Mm -hmm. And that was just so astounding because everybody was trying to profit from it politically. So to hear him sort of separate himself that way, and and that was consistent all the way through. The the whole time I knew Tom, he was just a man of principle and integrity. And, and Mark, the funniest thing, the way I found out that he was going to go to work with Convention of States was I found out about it from Fox News. Literally, my wife, Patty, was watching Fox News one night. Greta Van Susteren was still on there. And, and she started yelling, oh, my God, oh, my God, Tom Coburn just said he's going to work for Convention Estates. And I thought that's absurd. I've never talked to him about anything like that. And mm-hmm. luckily, she had recorded it, rewound it. And indeed, he, he was asked, well, now that you're retiring from the United States Senate, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to go to work for Convention Estates because I think this is the only way to save the country. And I called his communications director, John Hart, and said, John, uh, I just heard this incredible thing on Greta Van Suster. and He said, yeah, I know, we did too. So that was just, you know, Tom was his own man. He was a maverick. He was known as Dr. No in the Senate for all the bad things that he stopped, all the bad spending and all the unconstitutional stuff. And, and that's how Tom and I came to work together.
0: And um, what was he like? You spent all this time together traveling with him, man of faith, family man. Uh, how was he with other people?
4: Yeah, honestly, the most amazing person I've ever had the opportunity to work with. He was a man of very deep faith. Uh, He lived his faith. He lived it out every day of his life. Uh, He was a guy who was very profoundly connected to his family. He was also a guy that was always humble, which is, you know, for a guy of his accomplishments, most people don't know he's a very successful businessman. And then he became a doctor. Then he became a congressman and then a senator. He didn't think of himself as anything special. He would take just as much time with a bellman at a hotel or a waiter, as he would talking to a senator or the president. He's just an incredibly humble man. And, Mark, to me, I would say that the most profoundly different thing about Tom that that I learned from him more than anything else is that it almost sounds corny for me to say it, but I just watched him live it for so long, is the thing that matters the most is love that Mm -hmm. you care for, and that you love everybody that you cross paths with. And I remember he told me on so many different occasions, the people that are most important to love are the people that are the most difficult to love. And I, I never saw anybody live that out anywhere near the way I saw Tom Coburn live that out.
0: When was the last time I was with both of you? Was that Williamsburg? I'm trying to remember. Uh,
4: the, no, yeah, the last time was, was at our summit in Williamsburg. And, when, and,
0: when was that again?
4: It's just about a year ago
0: now. Mm-hmm. And there he was, sitting at a, one of the front round tables, minding his own business, you know, cheering on the uh, the different uh, activists in the convention of states. You were giving them awards and praising them and encouraging them to go out and fight. And there he was, and he was fighting this cancer. And he knew he was in trouble with this cancer, didn't he?
4: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, folks haven't had a chance to see this. They can see me interview him on stage there, and he absolutely knew that he was nearing the end. At at one point, Mark, he had told me, look, either the cancer is going to get me or the drugs will, the, the treatments. He knew that he was nearing the end. His kidneys were starting to shut down. He was not well at that event. And in fact, when he was on stage and I interviewed him, you could tell. I mean, he was shaky. And he had written notes, which was not something Tom normally did. He had a stack of sticky notes that he was reading from, and and they were scribbled a little bit was his doctor's handwriting, but part of it was just how much he was struggling. And it was, uh, I would say, it was the most difficult interview I've ever done because I knew it was going on. And I'll, I'll never forget at the very end of the interview, and it wasn't meant to be the end. It wasn't my last question. But I asked him why he kept fighting. You know, he was in a lot of pain. And he was really struggling, and he, he refused to stop going on the road with me. And when I would try to stop him, he would say, you know, Mark, if, if you stop me, I'm just going to be miserable at home. I'm just going to feel bad at home. I'd rather feel bad on the road. I feel better when I'm out trying to accomplish something important. And so I asked him on stage why he would do that. And I remember the look in his eyes, Mark, and it's hard to describe uh, because I knew him so well. What he was actually thinking is, why are you even asking me that? It's, it's a stupid question. I don't think it's a stupid question for most people, but to Tom, it was so obvious. And his response, I'll never forget, he said, what else would I do? Mm-hmm. And that's just Tom. He, he fought until the very end, Mark. And a few weeks ago, I got a text from him, and it was so Tom. He was, he was never a, a mushy guy. He was never very, I'm much more emotional than he was. And the text said, Mark, um, I'm at the end of the road as far as work. Wish I could have done more, Tom. When was that? That was about three weeks ago.
0: Well, I'll tell you, Mark, after I spoke at that event, I went down there and put my my hand behind his neck, and I told him, I cannot appreciate you enough. And I certainly didn't know him like you, but boy, did I like him. He was just, I just want America to know, with all this swirling around and so forth, what, what a tremendous patriot we lost. He, he's the closest... He and DeMint, really, are the two who are the closest who remind me of the founding fathers, you know?
4: You know, Mark, sometimes people say to me in regard to Convention of States, well, we we can't do this because there's nobody like the founders. Mm -hmm. And it's so insulting to me, having had the privilege of knowing a guy like Tom. I put him up with Madison or Adams or Jefferson or Washington. I,
0: I, I agree. I agree. And let me tell you, when we heard about this, it was a real punch to the gut. I mean, the, all day long my wife and I were talking about it was just so horrible. But now he's now he's out of pain and now he's he really believed in the afterlife, I think. So.
4: Yeah, I mean, he knew one of the things I, I loved so much about Tom, I had so much comfort as he was going through this process because he would say, "Look, I know exactly where I'm going. I'm not worried, I'm not scared, I'm not hesitant." I'll fight as long as I possibly can, but the bottom line is that I know that I'm okay whenever that comes.
0: Mark, I want to thank you and your beautiful wife. It's Convention of States, ladies and gentlemen. Please support it. They're magnificent. And I'll be right back.
1: Levin, liberties, General Patton. Call into the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. You
0: know Hannity at nine p.m. Eastern is doing a special. He didn't even ask me to mention this. Uh, he kind of whispered in my ear about it over the microphone. He's going to be at that Navy medical ship on board at nine p.m. Eastern time. I'm told. ...doing his show. So that could be kind of fascinating. I've never seen one of those ships. They're apparently quite remarkable. Have you ever seen that, Mr. Beduce, or any kinds of pictures or anything? No, they're quite remarkable. Now, I was... uh, ...telling you earlier... ...that... um, ...I'm pulling this up now because my... ...my favorite medical student sent me this... ...and I had asked for the information. Okay... Do you know how many people died from the pandemic in 1918? Anybody know how many people died from the pandemic in 1918? 675,000 in the United States. 1918 to 1919. It was an influenza pandemic. It was caused by an H1N1 virus with genes of avian origin, whatever the hell that means. 675,000 people died in the United States, most of them from 1918 to 1919, actually, and worldwide, 50 million. Now, keep in mind the population a 100 or so years ago was obviously much smaller in this country and worldwide. 675,000 with no hope of finding a vaccine or ventilators, 50 million worldwide. And this is an addition to the ending of World War I. That's called... It's called the Spanish Influenza of 1918. My God, you must be anti-Spanish. No, why would I be anti-Spanish? You called it the Spanish Influenza? No, that's what the history books call it. It's nothing to do with my uh, Mr. Call Screener, who is Puerto Rican ancestry, Correct. Richie V? Yes. Of course. And you had nothing to do with it, I take. And your ancestors had nothing to do with it? Correct. Just pointing it out. All right, fellas. Who should I take on the phones right now? Give me, give me... Oh, by the way, before I do that, um, this is very interesting. Just a minute. Tarn it. I was all prepared to tell you this. Companies that are hiring... Uh, I just got this off of a uh, website, so those of you who need uh, a job, potentially, it's, uh, let's see. I had it. uh well. Give me a caller, Mr. Producer. I'll find it eventually. WMAL Hector, Tyson's Corner, Virginia. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you? Very well. Thank you, my friend.
3: Good, good. Hey, uh, I love your show, and uh, I just have two quick questions for you. Yes, sir. Uh, the first one is: on uh, this uh, stimulus uh, package that they just passed, I heard they're going to give even the people that is working is supposed to get money. Is that right? Uh, yes. Okay, the, the, and, and uh, my thing is
0: uh, that—that is—that is depending on what you earn. If you earn less than $75,000 a year and you're single, uh, you'll get $1,200. If you're married, the family will get $2,400. If you're married with two kids, you'll get $3,400. If your income, I believe, is under $150,000. And it doesn't matter if you're unemployed or not.
3: Okay, because the point that I have is uh, why, why. So, in plan? other
0: words, you'll be able to buy more toilet paper if you get my drift.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what they're gonna give money to people that is working. Why they don't give this money to the people that is not working? They're exactly. Need the money. Why?
0: Okay? I am with you.
3: I talked to friends Dave, from Venezuela and Cuba, oh. and yeah. with the government is uh, the government giving you hangouts, free money. Mm-hmm. Be prepared because something is coming. So,
0: Wait I'm, a minute. This is a very important what you're saying, Hector. Be prepared because something is coming. In other words, there's strings attached.
3: Yes, because nothing is for free. Mm-hmm. Nothing. So when I receive that check, whatever check they send me, I work mm-hmm. hard here on the roads. I'm a truck driver. I'm driving everywhere. And I'm not going to get money from the government
0: let me, let me ask you a question. First of all, you're a wonderful patriot. Where are you from?
3: Uh, originally, I'm from Colombia, but I've been here in the States 30 years.
0: Well, I'll, I'll, listen to me. I want to thank you. You're driving a truck. You're doing things for your fellow citizens. You want nothing to do with this, this redistribution of wealth. I cannot thank you enough.
3: Thank you. And it's true, it's true, Mark. And one of the things, uh, just to finish, you know, when Como came last week on national TV and he says, uh, New York doesn't have any money, right? So, what is the money we pay on tolls? If you check every single truck driver, we, we pay around $300 to cross New York State in and out. Where does this money go? Where is the money go? I
0: think these are legitimate questions that no news person in new york's going to ask cuomo they have massive budgets they have massive debt they have money for everything but they made very bad decisions and the people pay a price for this he chose not to get ventilators he chose solar panels and this is the problem with the left hector thank you my friend i really appreciate your call I'm going to give you 10 companies that are hiring, according to Fast Company, which is a left-wing site, but I don't much care. And I want you to keep something in mind. When I mention these companies, companies like them are also hiring, okay? 7-Eleven. On the East Coast, you have places called Wawa. You have places like that. The 7-Eleven and 7-Eleven type stores are hiring. The Army National Guard is looking for people. KPMG. If you have a particular background in management and accounting and so forth, Amazon's only looking for 150,000 people. Genitech, these are cutting edge companies. Lowe's, so Lowe's, Home Depot, Ace Hardware, all those places are looking for people now. HCA Healthcare, a lot of these healthcare companies are looking for help now for obvious reasons. Intuit, Nepri, Whole Foods. In fact, most food chains are looking for help now for obvious reasons. They're trying to keep their shelves full and they're trying to serve enormous demand as well as delivery and so forth. I suspect, I don't know, the delivery companies are too. The UPS, FedEx type, type of businesses and jobs. So, there are things out there. Also, they're looking for, people are looking for, let's see here, companies are still hiring. <clears throat> Excuse me, folks. Uh, let's see if I can find any more. I can't find any more right now. But if you go on the internet, you're going to find the list. But these types of companies are hiring. So if you need to make ends meet, even if for a te- on a temporary basis or so forth, don't give up. Even if your company is unable to keep you employed or keep you employed full time, and it's totally understandable. The restaurant industry is getting killed, absolutely killed. I mean, I have a dear, my wife and I have a. There's a couple that owns a restaurant. I've told you about this restaurant that I love in Florida. It's my favorite restaurant. Closed down. You don't know how these people are going to make it, and you feel terrible. That's why I want to hear about college students and people who are employed getting money. It's wrong. At a minimum, they should have directed more of that money to the people who are really in this situation as a result of government shutdowns. It's just, it's, it's common sense. And it's absurd, in my view. All right, Mr. Producer. That was an excellent caller. Give me another one, please. Or somebody who's an objector. Go right ahead. Wow, Flora in England. How are you? How are you, Flora? Hi, hello. Hello. You're on.
5: Oh, I'm on. Okay. You're um, on with hello? Mark Levin. Hi, yes.
0: Mark. Hi,
5: Hi. Hi. Hello. I w- I'm your biggest fan in Britain. I wait, wait a minute.
0: Do I have fans in Britain?
5: Uh, some, oh. a couple of us, yes. I'm, a, yes. I'm a law student, and I know a couple of people, yes. Thank you. Um, I discovered you when I was traveling through America two years ago on the satellite radio, and I listened to you ever since on the podcast. Thank you.
0: Anyway. Thank you.
5: Uh, Well, I wanted, I I was phoning to tell you that you're talking about America slowly turning into a socialist police state. The same thing is happening here. It doesn't matter whether we elect conservative or Labour governments, we get the same results. A bill, the coronavirus bill in this country was passed without even a vote in the space of three days. And now we have police officers sending drones into national parks, following people and telling them to go home. Don't go out for a walk in the national park. People, overnight, the whole country's been put under house arrest. I'm a law student, but I sometimes also do deliveries for Amazon. You're right to say that there are jobs available because I've been doing delivery work, and I have to carry a certificate around. There are roadblocks on the freeways, on the main roads. You have to stop and tell them what you're doing, where you're going. It really is scary.
0: Boy, oh, boy. uh, It's going to be interesting to see when this virus has taken its course or much of its course what we're left with. We'll see how many people are left who really believe in uh, the things they've said they believe. You know, it's easy to believe in in liberty and private property rights and in our country, our Constitution, um, in times when there aren't crises. It's much harder to argue for them, embrace them. Uh, When there are crises, because people immediately want the central government to act. People are immediately prepared to surrender their liberty. And what I'm trying to say here behind this microphone every night, we don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. We understand that some significant steps have to be taken, whether it's spending, whether it's uh, governors giving advice and so forth. But uh, some of this has just gone way too far, I think. I want to thank you for your call and uh, and god bless you over there i mean it's what is it it's uh, what time is it over there she's gone it's got to be five or six hours difference isn't it it's always nice to hear from the brits it really is i'll be right back much love in A reminder, and I'm going to be watching this, these medical Navy ships, Sean, tell me, this ship that is